In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Robert Frost begins one of his most famous poems with this line, these lines. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen groundswell under it. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. But walls, boundaries, all kinds of limits are a part of this world and certainly a part of human life. Boundaries can be personal, political, re religious, natural, artificial, helpful, and yes, harmful. Today's gospel is about boundaries, about the limits that we set. I love it. I just love it because it is such a clear reminder that the second pers person of the Trinity is not just some cosmic Christ of all time and space, but the divine reality fully, totally incarnate as and in a human being. And so, subject to all the changes, all the ideas, all the aging, all the limits of human beings in a particular time and place. So Jesus' initial reaction to the Canaanite woman is totally understandable. After all, Jesus was a first century Jewish man who believed, who had been taught all his life that the Jews were God's chosen people, that they were the insiders within God's circle of love and concern, and that non-Jews were, were outside. They were unchosen, unclean, and to be avoided as much as possible. And among the non-Jews, the Canaanites, Israel's longtime religious and political enemy, they were the worst enemies of Israel, and probably enemies of God, too. But something happened. Something changed in and for Jesus. Now, I find it very interesting that the compilers of our gospel lectionaries included the first half of today's, of today's gospel lesson. In some books, it's marked off with parentheses. Um, in those verses, Jesus tells his followers and that all the disciples that what is most important in any action or, or decision, what is most important, what God looks for, is the intentions of heart and mind, the desire for connection, not, not some kind of rote adherence to man-made rules and practices. So then, Jesus encounters a loud and very desperate Canaanite woman, a mother. I can't help but think that in some mysterious spiritual way, God is challenging Jesus, challenging him to put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. What is more important? Maybe asking, long time rules, customs, attitudes, 
or reaching out in love, responding to a desperate need, speaking to a new and struggling faith. Which is more important? So what, Jesus? What will you do now? It has always seemed to me that in this encounter, and especially on hearing the mother's final desperate response, Jesus was changed, did change. He saw, Jesus saw the boundaries of his mission, and indeed of the boundaries of his heart and mind become exponentially enlarged. He, un, he began to understand that God's love and attention and concern encompassed not just the Jews, but equally the whole world and all of humankind. And so must, must his. No, Jesus began to understand. No more outsiders. All are insiders in God's favor. Outsiders, insiders. Well, this brings me back to our epistle lesson, because that question of who's in and who's out was something Paul struggled with. In his letter to the Romans, from which our lesson is taken, the, and Romans is the most theological of all his letters, Paul, for two chapters, 9 to 11, actually three chapters, uh, Paul struggles, meditates over the relationship between Christians and Jews and the ultimate fate of the Jews. Paul, like Jesus, was brought up a Jew and he strongly believed that Jews were indeed God's chosen people. But then came his miraculous conversion and in his first days almost of missionary work, the revelation that the good news of Jesus Christ was open, open to all, Gentiles and Jews alike. But something we might say strange was happening, uh, or something that was all too human, all too human, began to occur. Uh, it is very likely that the Roman Christians, to whom Paul was writing, now considered themselves as believers in Jesus Christ, to be the insiders in God's favor. And the Jews who refused to believe in Christ, now the unchosen, the outsiders, could be ignored. They, they became participants in an idea, a belief that has a long and wrong history and a very, very harmful influence on Christian thought Christian action, everything that Christians do. Now, scholars call what was happening supersessionism, a big word, I hope I pronounced it right, a big word, but basically it just holds that the Christian church and all Christians have superseded the Jewish people as God's chosen people. Christianity, and Christians are the o have the only, the full and correct understanding of God's purposes and plans. And they, Christians in the church, are to be the agent for God's plans. The church is the new Israel. As for the old Israel, 
It's out on its ear. But, but, Paul, in those chapters, Romans 9 through 11, came to a very different understanding of God's, uh, what should I say, of the scope of God's love. God's love, Paul felt, and God's concern for people encompassed not just Christian believers, but Jews also, and indeed everyone on this earth. The Jews were still and always would be God's chosen. As he says, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. The Jews will be the chosen, but so will Christians. So will all people who seek God. No outsiders at all. God's grace and love every place, every place. We are called to follow Jesus's uh, pattern uh, to accept his, his gift to us of God's love, his death on the cross and resurrection, and to see the human Jesus as a model for what we as, as humans should, should strive for. Well, as the gospel shows us, Jesus continued to grow and change, and we too are, are called are to, go, to grow and change sometimes, difficult though the latter may be. More and more to become those full and authentic individuals that God has made us to be, that God has called us to, to be. So I think it is a good and necessary task for each and all of us from time to time to examine ourselves, our assumptions, our boundaries. Now let me say first and say clearly that some, maybe a significant number of boundaries are appropriate, even necessary. I remember many, many sessions uh, at seminary devoted to the discussion of setting boundaries as a, in a pastoral setting and what those boundaries should be. And I do believe that setting and keeping appropriate personal boundaries around a spectrum of issues and actions, that setting and keeping those boundaries honors honors the God-created self that each of us is, and honors the work or works that God calls us to do. But we need to ask why. Why do I have those boundaries, those walls? Or, again, in the words of Robert Frost, what are we walling in? Or what or who are we walling out? Too often, the boundaries, the limits we set, consciously or sometimes unconsciously, reflect our own ideas or prejudices, our own fears, insecurities, our own need, our own desire to be special, to be an insider, not outside. Sometimes within that desire is our belief, I think, that our God is somehow 
a zero-sum God, if my group, myself, my way of thinking, my church is the chosen, then other people and groups have to be unchosen, outside. Such an understanding of God is narrow, reflecting our own needs and desires, rather than the true reality. In the 1960s, uh, J.B. Phillip wrote a book, Your God is Too Small. Your God is Too Small. A powerful book that shocked and disturbed many Christians, and still shocks and disturbs many Christians, but is still read today. Phillips wrote that for many people, God is, is very limited to one type, one kind of person. Perhaps your God is the resident policeman, the enforcer of rules. Or perhaps some people have the God of the elite who, who, who promotes, who rewards only success and achievement. Or there may be God as parental hangover. God has all the traits and some of the not-so-good ones, of our parents. And then there's always God in a box. God is the epitome of the views, practices, theology, and only those of a particular denomination or, or even church. There's an old joke, which I love, and you all have probably heard it, but it's about uh, a newcomer to heaven, and the newcomer is being given a tour of heaven by St. Peter's, by St. Peter. And at one point he stops and asks St. Peter, all those people behind that really high wall, you know, did they do something terrible? Why are they walled in? And Peter laughs and said, no, no, the wall is there because we want to make them happy. We want them to think that only Catholics in some versions, or Baptists in others, only Catholics get to heaven. There's nobody else but them. Oh, nobody else but them. It's a joke, but it reminds me that it's so easy for us to set limits, to set boundaries that help neither ourselves nor anyone else. We need again and again to examine our boundaries, to to, to look at them and ask why, why. It's not an easy task, I can tell you. I struggle with it much of the time. But I've adapted one practice, which I hope is helpful. Every time I think of or meet some person or persons who, uh, who I see as lacking in Christian love, pig-headed, untrustworthy, dishonest, cruel, unethical, some combination, or even, even really evil. I think of that person or persons, I name them, and I say, Jesus Christ died for them as surely as Jesus Christ died for me. And to paraphrase Paul earlier in his letter to the Romans, Jesus Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And that is proof of God's love for us. God's love for all of us. All of us. Amen.